Hello and welcome to Two Fat Expats. My name is Kirsty Rice and I'm one half of the Two Fat Expats. My co-host is Nikki Moffat. Hello, Nikki Moffat. How are you? Hello, Kirsty Rice. I'm fine, thank you. How are you? I'm good. So, Nikki and I have been expats for a very, very long time. We are those expat dinosaurs that you meet who tell you about traveling around the world without Google Maps and Instagram and Facebook buy and sell groups. If you call yourself an expat or maybe an economic immigrant, you might want to join our Facebook group, which is called uniquely Two Fat Expats. There's almost 40,000 of us there and it's a wealth of information when it comes to moving all over the world. Uh, Nikki, okay, so we always start with an expat question. And my expat question for you in our would you, could you uh, moment is, would you or could you take the same medication in Australia as you do in Denmark? Now, I take a HRT, which was prescribed to me in Australia, but I was very interested to hear that when I was talking to a group of ladies, that there's no way I'd get that same medication in Qatar. And now that I know this, I'm thinking, right, well, I really have to get my timing right with prescriptions and all the rest of it to bring it back. But then you start to think of all these other things about, well, am I in trouble if I bring that back? Like, should that not be in my suitcase? And is it risky to tell my local doctor, you know, are they going to say, well, you know, you can't have that or whatever. I don't think they would. But I was really interested with you because I know there's medications that happen in your Mm. household and you've had them all the way through your travels. So how have you navigated this? Yeah, I'd say like you never know. So as you say, neurodiversity in our family means we've covered this off pretty early. So different countries have hugely different rules around medications and prescribing them. And, you know, they all have their own issues with that. And and not to say that's like HRT related, but other meds related. So in some countries we were in, they wouldn't prescribe one medication without another medication to go with it. But in another country, they're like, there's no way we'd give you that. So it's it's really, it is quite difficult. And you do have to, when you travel and when you move countries, that's one of the things we talk about um, in our neurodiverse communities is that you have to plan ahead for your medication because a lot of these medications can actually have quite strong and serious side effects with withdrawal. So if you run out of a medication, so you have to either go off gradually by reducing the dosage slowly over time or, you know, if it's a hard cut, it's hard stop. You know, there have been times where I've been, I've turned up, you know, at a medical center in the middle of the night and gone, okay, I've just messed this whole thing up. I need something now. And they'll say, okay, we'll, we'll give you five days, but you've got to go and see a doctor or you've got to do this or you've got to do that. And so it can be really, really tricky. Obviously, you're talking to locals, so you'd have more idea about, um, you know, whether you tell your local doctor about HRT. I think medical professionals are always meant to have the full set of information on the drugs you're taking. I mean, even if you're taking illegal drugs, you're meant to tell that to your doctor in case if something goes wrong, you know, if they're treating you in a, in a particular situation. Yeah. But I guess it's all also related yes. in some countries to if, you trust your doctor. So what are the what are the reporting requirements that your doctor or the medical system has? And could that put, not you personally with HRT, but could that put you in some sort of predicament that you're unaware of in advance? So how yes. do you feel with your 
cattery doctor have you told them about the HRT or is that something a conversation you don't have to have because you're you're going to be back in Australia often enough or yeah you're making me realize Nikki that I think what you could probably do is feel your way through it so is it a matter that you go to your doctor and you say you've heard about these particular drugs you were wondering if they were available. You were wondering if there was any chance that they would be available. And you were wondering if there would be any problem with taking them if you were prescribed them by a medical professional in your home country who prescribed them for you. And then you would get you would get to feel it out, wouldn't you? Because I would think with particular things there would be doctors who would feel very strongly about why they why they don't do certain things you know in a different vein not so much with medication but with testing i had my third child in malta which is i think the percentages are a 98% catholic christian country it's a it's just a sea of churches through malta but i having had my first baby in australia i went home to have her but did all the all the testing and the blood works and everything in Jakarta, second child in Kuala Lumpur in Malaysia. But when it got to having a child in Malta, I just assumed that we would do the, you know, fecal test with the neck folds and that we would do the blood test and, and all the rest of it. And they said to me, well, we don't do that. And I said, how come? And they said, because we don't offer an alternative. Like if there is something there we're not going to do anything about it do you know we're not going to offer you any alternatives of you know what happens with that child so I suddenly entered this really different realm where you know in Australia it's very big having that testing of um you know if there's a problem yo I'll fix it (laughs) but um in Malta there was this very much this embracing of well why would it be a problem if you had a child with with you know whatever condition because it's a blessing and it's wonderful and don't sweat on it and don't worry it was a very different medical approach i have to say it was actually very calming in the end because it became the norm i guess it became what it would have been like having babies in the 50s 60s 70s you know i'm not even sure when those tests started coming in if it was the 80s but uh yeah so i guess Maybe is that part of of uh, embracing a different culture in that you roll with it and their rules and you try and do what the locals do? Um, so, yeah, it brings all sorts of questions, doesn't it? It does because in yeah. some countries like CBT oil is like really big and people swear by it and you have your five drops in the morning or in the evening or before you get on a flight or whatever and you can order it in the mail and it comes to you, blah, 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 blah. And in other countries, highly illegal, will be confiscated, don't be caught with it. You know, and that's not even a prescription-based drug in those countries. So I remember the other thing that created a lot of um, discussion in the Two Fat Expats Facebook group was when Dubai changed their laws about travelling with prescription drugs and what what you could travel with and what you couldn't and you had to have letters from your doctors and you had to declare your prescription on the way into the country to say, I am carrying this kind of medication, etc. So there are lots yeah. of different things to consider. And, you know, we've talked in the last 
well, everybody knows who listens that you are a long-term expat in Qatar. So you have a sense of comfort or a sense of understanding about your environment. But a lot of people go into a new country in a new environment and there are so many things that you have to check off your list and think about before you get there that you walk in and you're like, shit, I've got this script that I have to fill or is this going to work or how's that going to, you know, and often with parents or mothers particularly or the primary caregiver, whoever that is, they're so busy working out everybody else's things that they're they're the last on their list. And when they walk in, they're like, okay, you've got your drugs, you've got your drugs, you've got your drugs. I'll be right. <laughs> you know, like, so uh, just it's, it's a thing. It's definitely a thing. I saw a great photographic analogy of that today. I think it was Denise Scott, the comedian, shared a picture that her daughter had sent her and it was of the child's lunch, which was beautifully cut sandwiches with the crust taken off and a, a bowl of fresh fruit and something else. And then it had the mother's lunch, which was basically the crust <laughs> that had been cut off. <laughs> thought that's that's it you know Nikki the other thing and I was um, thinking this about when you assume things too because you've yeah. been around for a long time so Nikki you and I of are of a generation that we remember traveling and packing your bags the biggest thing you thought would happen to you and the biggest thing your parents warned you of is someone putting drugs in your bag do you know that you would become a mule for someone and there were movies like the Bangkok Hilton do you know that talked and Nicole Kidman was in it and that that to me was my always my biggest worry double checking my bag three times that someone hadn't walked past drop five (laughs) kilos of drugs in it when you weren't looking so you can imagine my surprise when I got to Bangkok last week and I was wandering through um, the mall and there was a big sign up with a big marijuana leaf and packets of gummies and I was thinking oh they must be fake like that must be another (laughs) one of the whole fake thing in Thailand you know like fake Hermes belt (laughs) fake gummies Anyway, then when we went to Hua Hin, I saw along the way all these signs for marijuana. And I looked it up. Marijuana was legalised in Thailand in 2019. Did I you didn't know that? know that. I haven't been to Thailand since no. 2019. <laughs> and so I was thinking I could have ne- I would <laughs> never pick that, Nikki, never. Like it was just such a – it was a country where you feared yeah. ever, you know, ever being involved in anything like that and so it just blew my mind of wow you know I would have told my kids you know whatever you do don't don't get involved with anyone who's doing that in Thailand or you know don't accept anything don't do whatever so yeah it also shows that for us old dinosaur expats (laughs) things can change dramatically and you need you you always need to do a bit of research before you go and double check Okay, so Nikki, my question I feel almost should come with either a drum roll or a trigger warning, possibly both. I think a trigger warning is the best. Yes. (laughs) So Nikki, how do you make decisions if you are made redundant while you're an expat? Well, Kirsty, funny you should ask that question. So after 21 years with the same company or including a buyout, um, it has come that during our expat life that uh, my husband was 
made redundant or put on gardening leave or whatever it is you call it. And um, that has happened to us in the last few months. So we have been negotiating and navigating many, many life changes, um, including our daughter going back to school in Australia, which was a pre ordained thing that turned out to be quite handy so we didn't have to tell her actually we're going to move countries uh and you don't have a choice she made that choice so yeah so how do you make decisions while you made redundant well and expect and i would welcome the feedback from the group on this and from our listeners and and from uh, the Two Fat Expats Facebook group and our listeners because we have gone about it in a certain way um obviously it wasn't a huge surprise it was possibly coming, but it's still, it's quite a lot, you know, and when we are, we fit a demographic, you know, we are uh, a little bit older, we're in the, the uh, we've been doing this for 20 years, um, we're in the just over 50 age category, which is a quite a difficult one for a lot of people to navigate when they become redundant or are looking for a new job. It's very different to look for a job from a point of view of having a job and say, oh, I want out, but, you know, I, I can, I've already got something. If I don't find something else, this is still here. So that's where we're at at the moment. So we've spent the last two months uh, making lots of lists and having um, some serious discussions about repatriation do we repatriate ourselves as in do we choose to go back we've uh, the company's been very generous we actually have eight months here <laughs> so we don't have any issues with visas so a lot of people who get made redundant in countries that are at will employers don't have that same capability or capacity and I very much appreciate that we were told you know we had nine months at the time so to the end of May where we can stay in the country where we have visas and where we're empl employed and basically have all all the our healthcare, all the other benefits covered during that time. So we have a bit of a runway to make a decision. So that's one thing I would acknowledge that in a lot of cases, I understand that people don't have that runway and they, you know, they get told something's going to happen and then they have sort of, in some cases, 30 days or less to leave the country and that's to organise every single thing. So having said that, Nikki, do you think that all expats, particularly if you're somewhere that you know, if you were to be made redundant tomorrow, you'd be asked to leave within sort of 30 days, that all expats should have that Google Doc that says this is what we would do if or do you think that that's unreasonable? No, I don't think it's unreasonable but I think you can't live your life in a state of <laughs> possible fear you know like it's a planning thing it's like an insurance policy right so it's like the fridge list and it's like everything else that we talk about it's like a moving list it's like a moving checklist it's just that when mm. you walk into the country you probably should prepare your leaving the country checklist at the same time. So as you are doing things, I'm connecting my internet, I'm connecting this, I'm connecting that, make the spreadsheet and have the, you know, the terms of terms of service in terms of leaving the country. So how much notice do we have to give on this? It's good to have a spreadsheet with all that information and just say, okay, well, we have to give three months on this or one month on this or, you know, a lot of countries in Europe you have to register to an address to be in the country and so you have to deregister before you can cancel any of those things. So it's often quite a bit of a, a tap dancing routine to deregister yourself and and then get around to cancel all your things 
and then keep your bank account open till you get all your refunds back before you close your bank account and then to yep. leave the country. So I'm not yep. saying it's easy, but I'm saying it's it's something certainly that you should definitely think about and um yeah, and just make the list. So when you walk into a country, you're doing all your setup. You often keep, you know, a file with everything you're setting up. So just, you know, after the after it's all the commotions and you're commotions worn down a bit and your internet is connected just open up file up the old google doc and whack it all into the spreadsheet and just sort of reverse all the steps that you've done so it's ready for you to go when you when you start to plan to leave yeah yeah absolutely i think um you know, we, we, Nikki. You know, I'm a planner, and I, I, I can't deal. You're very good at just sort of flying more by the seat. <laughs> That's of your how pants. I live my I'm life. Not, I, I have don't to. say I'm good at it. It's, yes. just, it's just a dumb thing. I, uh, I can't. I need to know exactly what's going to happen. So I, we, we do have these conversations of, well, what would happen? That was, and I'm sure, Nikki. That's probably one of the reasons why. You know, well, I know it is the reason we had, we bought the house in Australia was. I need that. I need to know that if everything was to go pear-shaped, we had somewhere mm-hmm. to go because that used to play in the back of my mind over and over. And, and I know that doesn't play in the, other, in the back of other people's minds because they go, well, no, we would just go home and we would, you know, rent for X time and then we would buy something. You know, that's not the end of the world. But for me it was a real – and I think it was, I've talked about this before, it was an Irish girlfriend that said to me, once you have that – uh, in case of emergency, you will feel better about being here. And she was absolutely right. I did feel better. I, I felt a sense of calm. But that is just me. We are all very different in our approaches of what we need to do. But, yes, we have had the whole conversation of, well, what would the first week look like? What would the first two weeks look like? You know, because there's also this thing of, like you said, Nikki, you have to make a decision of, well, are we repatriating? Because if we're repatriating, it looks one particular way. You know, we're either going home and investing in a business or we're moving to a particular city where there is a certain type of industry. Um, We are focused in that way. But if you're actually thinking, no, I want to continue being an expat, but this is just a, a little stop hold while we do that. Well, then you have to decide, all right, well, how many months are you going to uh, give it? Mm, like, yes. Are you going to search to be an expat for when do you give up and say, okay, the expat life is done for us, we need to get a permanent gig at home. Um, so, yeah, they're all things I think that should be openly discuss because I think it does it sends you into an absolute spin when it happens um you know and no one no I don't think anyone should deny the trauma of it as well I mean to me it's the same as a um and people might think it's strange I'm going to say this but I kind of think of it the same as a cancer diagnosis or a death in the family because it is if you've been an expat for quite some time and you've that's who you identify as um it is a huge thing to get the surprise redundancy you know we we too are facing possible mergers yet again you know we only did this (laughs) we only did this sort of four four years ago to think now oh we're going through this again okay well what do we do and what is the criteria and what 
makes you happy in a merger? Like, are you are you happy if you have the same title, role, whatever, uh, but less money? Or are you happy if you have the same money but a lesser title, role, yep. whatever? Do you know there's a whole lot of stuff that goes through your head? But then also, well, what, then what does it look like if, you know, I'm catching an Uber home at the end of the day and that's it? Um it's huge. I both um, G and I are the children of uh, fathers who were made redundant at fifty, and it it has had a a big effect on us of watching how they both coped with it, and it it was a huge huge thing to their you know to it changed who they were as people. It sounds ridiculous, but it. It does. No, for sure. And I think just to do a little bit more about, and I'm happy to talk about this week in, week out, and any feedback, happy to take. But at the moment, we're on a sort of a double uh, prongs. You, you talked about you have to decide whether you want to stay living overseas or not. And then if you do, give yourself a cutoff period. So obviously, we are having that conversation. We're having a dual discussion. So we're having one stream where we repatriate to Australia. We don't, we decide our location because we buy a business based on something that we're interested in or something that we have experience in, not to go back and then look for a job, but so to do, to drive that, move ourselves or we, we move and we move only within a certain area. So now both the kids in Australia, we want to be one flight away. So, you know, Asia is our perfect less than 12 hours would be fantastic, you know, to be able to walk to the airport and get on a plane and be in Australia in the same 24-hour period is, you know, the dream if we stayed outside Australia. So and because we have these two streams going, we're, we're very far down the looking at a business and we've talked to, to brokers and finance people and all sorts of and industry experts. And so that is a very real option and so is the other one. I mean, my husband's talking with people in industries, related industries. You know, he's been in the industry a long time, so he's got a lot of contacts and there's a lot of things going on. Um, so, but he now feels more comfortable and I guess more confident in the fact that he doesn't feel pressured into having to take any job he can find. So before before yes. we had this separate strain, so before we started down this, you know, we could do this. If we went back to Australia, what would we do? Okay, we we would like to buy a business we would like to choose where that is and so we have that control that level of control even though it's theoretical at this stage versus okay we just have to find a job so the job might be in australia or the job might be in asia or the job might be anywhere now he he feels and we both feel more in control of the situation because if a doesn't happen then b is a very viable option for us so we've got a and b we don't have a C, but <laughs> we're feeling okay with A and B at the moment. But but we have internal cutoffs yeah. that we have given ourselves to say, okay, if we want to pull the trigger on B, then we have to do it by X date. If we pull the trigger on A, it has to be by Y date. And then if we haven't made a decision about A or B, then on Z date, we sit down and we make the list and we make the decision and then we stick with our decision. So that's yeah. that's kind of where we're at and taking control of the planning helps you feel like you take control of the situation we've had the conversations about where do we send the container you know what to address I was like I don't care does it put in storage I, I, I that to me doesn't matter as much like I don't mind about that as mm. much where do we send the container I don't care but 
if we're going to Australia, then we send it there. You know, like <laughs> if we're not going to Australia, then when we pack it, we'll know where it's going, in which case that's also okay. So we sort of have this sort of yeah. backwards and forwards on this. But it it is it's living in limbo, which I know a lot of people do anyway. You know, a lot of people's jobs are unstable. A lot of people are coming to the end of contracts. They don't know what's happening next. I don't discount anybody living in that kind of situation because when you live as an expat or, or you know, as a transitory migrant as you do over years in different countries you understand that at any time it could finish any time it could come to an end and that's why you've got your passport and your passport goes home but the older I feel like and I understand this is also personality based but I felt the younger you were the more sort of easy you were with that yeah we'll go back whatever whatever. the older you get the more you feel like I must have a bit more control over this situation because I, I, you know, because yes. you have more more responsibilities. You think the kids moving out give you less responsibilities? Not so much, but you know, like it is just no, no, no. You know, little kids, little problems, big kids, big problems. So it, it's just a matter of there are so many things going on and to do, and to be able to do the planning is quite helpful, and to be yes. able to have the conversations and you know there's a lot of difficult conversations that that you have to have and you know they're not always fun or pleasant but the ability that to have them because you're with your partner then if you both work from home like I'm working from home and he's he's working on his plan from home so we're 24/7 together it's awesome uh it's just like covid <laughs> that one of us has one less job so uh you know there's that as well so there are a lot of things that you have to go through and then do you start to retract yourself do you say I'm not participating in my local community anymore because I don't know how long I'm going to be here you know there's all these peripheral things that happen that that are yes. independent to how do you make decisions if you made redundant, but they yeah. all are flow on effects from that. So, yeah, there's a yeah, lot, a lot of stuff going on, and that's probably a bit more nebulous, and I ha- haven't got down to specificular points on that. But that's that's where we're at. Whereas we're a couple of months in, and most of that time I was spent in Australia. But yeah, that that's that's where we're at right now. And some of the time I spent in Australia, yeah. I spent sort of helping to plan this, you know, return business decision. But you know, there, there's a lot going on. <laughs> there's a lot of things. <laughs> okay. So Nikki, from the serious to the uh, highly flippant, tell me your three favorite things for this. Okay. Week. So three favorite things. I want to say that the podcast, The Rest is History. We briefly touched on that last week when we talked about there were some World Cup episodes. So I don't know if you mm-hmm. are a regular The Rest is History listener. Oh, I sure am. It's it's like one of my favourites, yes. Okay, that's interesting. I didn't know that about you. I don't normally listen to it. I, I dabble in and out, but I've found the World Cup episodes to be absolutely fascinating and really enjoyable. And I think um, – and the point, yeah. the point of the World Cup episodes is that it's not about that country in the World Cup. It's about a particular thing in each of the 32 World Cup countries. And, of course, the yes. Australian one would have been very familiar to you, Kirsty, because you're <laughs> – Do you know what, Nikki? It was one of the ones I didn't enjoy as much because it's been done. Do you know, it's if you go and watch Australian Story, they have done it really well. So I have to, I have to be honest about it. So you're going to talk about there was a f- 
absolutely fascinating. I, I found it fascinating at the time. There was a man who was on the beach who was found uh, dead. We, they called him the Somerton Park man because that he was found in Somerton Park. But there, there was all this conjecture over whether he was a spy or, you know, and there were all these unique things about the case. But, of course, The Rest is History is a very British yeah. um, podcast. So for them, they wouldn't have known anything about it whereas when it's in your hometown oh yeah you know all about it right because it's been it comes up again and again and again and again what has been your favorite one that you've listened to i would say my favorite one was when they talked about qatar obviously (laughs) yes well actually i found that very interesting because with qatar they talked a little bit about the football side of it but but in general they talked about the history of qatar which i found really interesting i really enjoyed that one that was the first one they did to kick off the program so yeah so i would say the rest is history i don't always listen, but the World Cup episodes have been really good. Do you listen to the rest is politics? No, again, I just d- dabble in and out, not all the time. The other <laughs> one was um, so something I've things I've watched. Inside Man, have you seen Inside Man? Uh, no, I've seen it pop up on my screen to watch, but I I was put off because someone someone wrote, "Oh, don't bother watching it." And like in one of those chat groups, whether it was Chat Ten yes, or Three, or that's just one person, random person on the internet. <laughs> Yes, yes, that's true. That's true. It's like when someone says something's really, really good. I noticed this week uh, uh, Kate Murphy, uh, who uh, had a blog called Woog's World and is now more of a painter than a writer, she posted on a Saturday night, tell me something to watch, and everybody suggested, and it made me go and watch it. What was it called? Uh, It had Alison Janey and Kristen... um, Oh, what's it called? Oh, the people you don't want to meet at yes, weddings. Yes, right. And I Do watched like it, it, and because everybody had said it's amazing, and it was okay, but I was I was expecting amazing. Do you know because everybody said how fab, but um, yeah. What did you think of that one? Sorry, we're off track. But did you? <laughs> I watch did that watch one that too? one because and I follow thoughts? their her Instagram. Um, I did quite like it, but but it was like it was a made to me. It was like a made for streaming movie. It just had quite big stars in it, so you kind of expected something a bit more. It was a bit, but it was based off a a book, so it's based off a novel. So I was like, well, it can only be as good as the novel, right? It kind of felt a bit. It felt a bit hallmark because it had the happy ending, and yeah, no, I I agree. Yeah, and yeah. all the pieces came together. Whatever. Yeah. yeah, maybe it was a book written to be made into a movie. Maybe that was the novelist's plan all along. I'm not sure. Yeah, clever novelist, clever novelist. All right, okay, yeah. sorry, I've completely interrupted. No, and over. So the rest is history. Inside Man. Inside Man. Okay, Tell so Inside me Man has Stanley Tucci and David Tennant, which you would think, wow, I want to watch that, right? So that's. You saw it yes. and you're like, I want to watch it. It's another one of these two totally separate locations. How do they intersect? So a serial killer in a U.S. prison and events at an English vicarage intersect. <laughs> so it's And how wow. do those things come together? You have to watch it to find out because that sort of really gives away the thing. But it, there's a guy who is in jail in the U.S., and he's sort of like this very, very clever person and people go to him to solve their problems and solve their cases and solve their issues and he's sort of allowed to do that because what else can he do? He's on death row, he's waiting to die, blah, blah, blah. So and then this comes up. So 
eventually, and then David Tennant plays the role of a vicar in an English village and a very, very easy-to-imagine situation turns into a very, very difficult and someone says it's implausible and absurd, the whole thing, but by design. And so that's what makes it work, that it is so implausible and absurd, but it can sort of work. So I watched the first two episodes and I was totally, totally in, gripped in in for a million bucks. By the end, I was like, I can see that this can't really end in any way that's going to be super appealing in that you know, right. it's not going to be sort of, <laughs> it's a little bit implausible. So, but, but I still wanted to see how it ended. I still wanted to watch the end and I still wanted to know how it ended. So I think that that's good yeah. enough. You know, it, it's a, it's a Netflix series. It goes for, I don't know, four or six episodes or something. So it's worth it. I would suggest to okay. have a look. It's better okay. than, I'm it's do- better I'll than just it. total eye candy and, you know, total brainless watching. It's a little bit thinking, but it's not, you know, the best thing you've seen with ever. And the other thing that I put on the list was Limitless with Chris Hemsworth. Now I talked to you about this off air last week and I said, you know, don't we just love Chris Hemsworth's voice? Like the way he speaks, it's just, it's very, it's very soothing. Uh, It sounds like he has a very lovely Uh, smile. And and then you, (laughs) and then you get, all the Hemsworth yes, in it. You do. You get, you get the whole package of Hemsworth. That's right. And then you spend a long time feeling bad that you're feeling bad for the third Hemsworth <laughs> because he's not quite like the other two Hemsworths, if you get my drift. But he's lovely and he would be uh, he would be quite magic if, if you weren't thinking Look, about the other, the other two. Yeah. That sounds so judgy, I know, but I did – both my husband and I said the same thing. We were like, oh, what's it like? Like that that's a fair bit of therapy right there, isn't it? Yeah. Anyway, Limitless is uh, six episodes. It's on Chris Hemsworth's Crest for Longevity. And I did actually look up. Yes. It's a documentary series. And then I thought, what is a documentary? Because when you say documentary in the <laughs> the dinosaur terms like you expect to see the meerkats you know like and hear sort of a voice over the top saying and here are the meerkats coming out yeah. of there you know whereas this is a lot more sort of involved and you know they've got a little bit of where they go off to science and then they come back and they're doing sort of matey stuff and uh, you know and the yeah. it's the documentarian isn't necessarily involved like they're telling a story it's almost like it's a scripted non-fiction like it's all sorts of Thing. So I actually no definitely definitely scripted <laughs> yeah. definitely scripted definitely highly edited yes. definitely yeah for sure very well anyway played. so I did a little little yeah. deep dive into what's a documentary because it made me sort of think about those things but it's essentially a documentary and there's six the stress right. shock fasting strength memory and acceptance are the six episodes and um, in each of the episodes there's you know a little bit of science some related practitioners of the event and then quite a lot of Chris and his family and friends. And so in... And quite a lot of Chris without yeah, his well, clothes Well, yes, quite a lot of Chris. Yes, in fact, quite a lot of all of them without their clothes on. There's a lot of take your shirt off. <laughs> oh, okay, okay, if I must. Right, so he okay. does all these things, you know, in the shock he, he goes swimming in the Arctic in, in fasting, you know, he doesn't eat for four days, you know, strength, memory and the acceptance which is 
which is a lovely thing because it's about a quest for longevity, which, you know, we all have. And we, you know, we look at how to make ourselves look and feel younger for longer. That's that's what, what the world is about pretty much. Uh, that's what a lot of the marketing people live by. Um, but we do all in the end age and die and we can't help that that's definitely going to happen to us. So I thought the fact that this was a six-series documentary on how to live your best life longer – um, but then actually the last one was about acceptance. So it was about, you know, let's think about that. We can live as long as we like, but eventually there's an end to that. So how does that look? So a yes. lot of a lot of Chris Hensworth eye candy, uh, but also just some interesting stuff, a little bit of science. And, and they're not very long episodes. And, you know, there's something that can maintain your attention. And it was – there was some – Pretty yeah, interesting insights. Is it Disney? Is it is it Disney Plus or Amazon Prime? I think it's Disney Plus. If you do fasting, Kirsty, like you do, then mm-hmm. you know the the things that they cover in that episode are of really no great surprise to you. You know, these are things that people are doing already, but it's sort of trying to bring it to a broader audience, I guess, and to to show yeah. that kind of thing. It's something you yeah. can watch with other people you don't have to watch it by yourself it's just like a family show there's no moral questions about it so it's just one of those have a look (laughs) that's my three Kirsty. what about your three okay so my first one I don't is well I know it's not a new one but it's one I've only just got around to watching and that's the staircase which is based on the true story of Michael Peterson and Kathleen Peterson she has another name in between there I'm sorry I didn't I didn't write it down but um I kept thinking I'm sorry I haven't researched this to go back and find it more but I kept thinking that I I seem to remember maybe Oprah looked at him back in the day you know when Oprah used to do those stories there are about five true crime podcasts about this and then there was a documentary before they did this fictionalized version yes yes so they include the documentary yeah they do yes so you get you get to see the French because uh, you know one of the editors of the documentary becomes very entwined in the lifestyle. So for those that don't know the story, um, Kathleen Peterson was found at the bottom of the stairs, and there is much conjecture over: was she pushed? Was she? Did she fall? Was she? Um, abused with a blunt instrument to the head before she died. Uh, was she attacked by an owl? <laughs> the owl. Or was she? <laughs> yes. Um, but, well, the thing I really liked about it, because it's not a documentary, it's a mini series. it has Colin Firth playing Michael Peterson and Tony Collette playing Kathleen. So there you go, an Englishman and an Australian playing Americans. a couple of uh, suburban <laughs> Americans. Um, it's really interesting to look at who – um, Kathleen Peterson work for um, because they of course went sort of bust within it so you can see the stress and the drama that was happening in amongst it but they also do present all those options they show you all three of those options very cleverly within the series so that you can think about it and you know they do make the owl quite plausible <laughs> for a while there with the claws and the marks on her head and whatever you think oh you really do start to think, oh, maybe. Um, anyway, I really enjoyed it. Uh, G and I have sort of watched it like 
come home from golf and roll an episode and then come back the next day and roll another episode and you do want to get to the end and I would think by the ending that you would think that the people who made the miniseries think he was guilty. Um, what is fascinating is because they have five children together as a couple um, and watching the children's um, thoughts as they go yeah. along and seeing how they react to him, you know, the whole defense of him and then, then yeah, and how it affects their lives is so awful. Um, but, yeah, you also look at the debt that's involved in sort of uh, those sort of suburbs in America um, and the stress and things that are hidden in a marriage maybe. Um, it, I just thought it was really, really like really interesting to watch and one of those things like when you're watching the crown when you go back to google and you've got to you find yourself wanting to know well what did they look like in real life and what you know what was that about i think it's done really well but it doesn't it doesn't tell you what they think at the end it does leave you to make up your own mind so i would recommend that one um as one to watch uh the next is a podcast, which is the Pivot Podcast, and I think we've spoken about it before, yeah. but it has Scott Galloway and Cara Swisher. But it's a particular episode that I really enjoy. It's called How to Raise the Next Scott Galloway, which is, you know, it's it's a it's a joke. Um, but if you're wondering who Scott Galloway is, because I always think, I can remember last Christmas, my husband is an absolute Scott Galloway convert and he said something about Scott Galloway to um, his mother and I heard her say, did he go to Brighton High with you? <laughs> <laughs> did he go to Brighton Boys with you? Uh, no, Scott Galloway is um, kind of the master of tech and relationships in the digital economy. He's a professor of, professor of marketing from NYU. He's also an expat because he moved to London because he wanted his kids to live in a different oh, culture. And his wife's German and uh, he, he doesn't want to live in Germany. <laughs> Yes, and he had a digital intelligence firm called L2. It sold for $155 million, so it, money's not a problem of living in London. He is also an intermittent faster, Nikki. Yeah. He's fast, but he's a faster from Monday to Friday and then he throws it away on the weekends, which is exactly what I do. Um, so I was very happy with that. And Kara Swisher we've talked about before because we love her podcast, Sway, but she was a journo from the Wall Street journal and the washington post she's also been an opinion writer for the new york times and she covers all things internet and has done for as long as i can remember with books and podcasts and conferences and whatever my favorite bit about cara swisher is she wears dark aviator glasses everywhere which i think is total badass <laughs> and i want to do that but i don't have the guts to <laughs> but this particular episode is all about answering your questions about raising kids in the age of endless distraction and they kind of go to their peers in the industry and ask them for their tips one of the ones i thought was really good was the stop stimulating your baby because oh I that think, was such a great clip of that woman yes because i think if you're a new parent you don't know what what no. you need to be doing and and we've all been suckers for buying every gadget and trying to get everything when you are sleep deprived and you think you should be doing something. And I remember, you know, Nikki, remember when we had kids, everybody was trying to teach them sign language so that they could tell you what they wanted. And, and oh God, there's so much going on without the added whatever. But yeah, she was saying, 
stop stimulating your baby. Let your baby just lay on the ground with its arms and legs in the air and just enjoy your baby working out who they are, which I love those sort of things. So, um, And also uh, the advice they gave, because he is an expat, he was saying, you know, he's never going to take technology away from his kids because he wants his kids to be able to communicate with their friends back in America. Um, but how to have those set times and taking the phone away at the end of the day, I think that's really important. But th- there were lots of really good short tips from expats that I really liked. Uh, my second favourite thing, and maybe this is only going to apply to the um, Australians amongst us, but if you were a fan of maybe The Castle back in the day, you will love Fisk by Kitty Flanagan. Uh, it's on the ABC. You can watch it on ABC iView. I love it. G loves it. I think Kitty Flanagan is pure genius. I think the cast is pure genius. I have uh, anyone who's been a long-time podcast listener knows that I love anything that has ordinary-looking people in it doing ordinary things that I find hysterically funny, um, and this is it. She works in a law firm. She wears the same oversized brown suit every week, and she's just taking the mickey out of modern day Australia most of the time and it just and has really always brings back people like Glenn Robbins if you're in Australian you'll know who I mean by that Uncle Arthur or Russell Coit um and I have thoroughly enjoyed it I think I haven't watched this week's episode but it's got Rob Sitch who is a genius um so yes that would be my big one is Get yourself watching Fisk if you haven't already. So they are my three favourite themes. So Nikki, we're done, we're done again. again. Look at that. Good of we. We stuck to it, and we will get this out to everyone so we can be back on track and getting back into weekly podcasts until we get to the summer. Then we might have a little break over Christmas, perhaps. Okay, your summer, not mine. <laughs> yes. Okay. I should say, yes, until we get to the festive season. But then you can't say that because it's not everybody's festive season either. Um, Maybe we'll have a break over the new year, Nikki. Is that the safest way to say it? Sounds good, Kirsty Rice. Okay, I'll speak to you again next week. Okay, bye-bye.